This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. I mean, this is one of the one of the things that you 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 just cannot forget. You cannot forget it. If we don't educate, if we don't remember, we're gonna regrettably continue to contribute to that same tragedy. We've seen it in the Armenian genocide. We saw it in the Jewish Holocaust. We saw it in the Cambodian regime. Humanity has witnessed an appalling number of genocides in the 20th century. The Armenian genocide is at the beginning of that timetable. Historians, public officials, educators, and advocates agree if the Ottoman Empire, now Turkey, was held accountable for their actions, the rest of the century may have played out differently. Armenia, Holocaust, Cambodia, Rwanda. Could awareness, accountability, and education make all the difference? California is home to many survivors and descendants of survivors who are left carrying the wounds of these atrocities. In fact, California is home to the largest population of Armenians outside of Armenia and Cambodians outside of Cambodia. I'm Nairi Bagdasarian. On this episode of Look West, we'll talk with genocide survivors and their descendants about what happened, why it happened, and what we should do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Nora Hovsepian, a lawyer, activist, and descendant of genocide survivors, lives in Glendale, just north of Los Angeles. I come from a family of uh, genocide survivors. All four of my grandparents on both sides were genocide survivors uh, from the 1915 era. Um, They each had a story, but the most impactful one on me was the story of my paternal grandmother, who uh, was one of, I believe, 10 children. And Two of her oldest brothers had already come to New York uh, to go to school and to work before World War I. Um, She was nine years old at the time, in 1915. She saw her father and all the men of her family axed to death by Turkish soldiers in 1915 in the town of Yerzinga, which is in eastern Turkey. And um, her mother, her aunt, her grandmother, all the women of their family basically gathered all of their children together, including my grandmother, and held hands, said a prayer, uh, and then threw themselves into the Euphrates River, essentially to drown themselves rather than being taken away by Turkish soldiers, as so many women and children were being taken away. Uh, She held on to the branch of a weeping willow tree at the river's edge, and she was the only one to survive out of all of them. Uh, She was rescued eventually from the river by a Kurdish family. There were a lot of Kurds who lived in Erzinga at that time. And uh, they kept her uh, as a helper or a babysitter uh, for their young children. Eventually, there were American missionaries who were going through the region as a part of the Near East relief effort. This Kurdish family basically turned her over to them thinking that she would have a better future. Uh, Near East Relief kept meticulous logs of all the orphans that they had in their custody. And through those logs, um, my great uncles were able to find their little sister and uh, went back and brought her to the United States. The Near East Relief effort rescued over a million women and orphans and saved a large part of the Armenian nation. It's something that as Americans we should also be proud of, that our nation stood up and rescued all these orphans Um, and really 
I think without Near East relief, the Armenian nation would not have survived the genocide. And that was the goal of the genocide, to wipe us off the face of the earth. But Near East relief really uh, had a pivotal role in ensuring our survivability. And because of that, we were able to continue our national identity. Nora, the chairwoman for the Armenian National Committee of America Western Region, believes things would have turned out differently if only the Ottomans had been held accountable. If it wasn't for the lack of accountability for the Armenian genocide, I would go so far as to say the Jewish Holocaust would not have occurred. Uh, Hitler was uh, very famously quoted uh, prior to his invasion of Poland in saying that who, after all, now remembers the extermination of the Armenians. Uh, Because at that time in the 1930s and 40s, Nobody talked about what happened to the Armenians. And the Germans themselves were complicit because they were allies of the Ottoman Empire during World War I. So they knew exactly what happened to the Armenians, and they never said anything about it. And Hitler used that to justify what he was about to do to the Jews and other minorities. Ruth Wildorf, who lives in a modest home in Palo Alto, survived the Holocaust. As if we had stepped back in time, Ruth's home was filled with pink flower prints and wooden furniture. We were welcomed with cookies and a choice between tea or coffee to pour into our porcelain china cups with pink flowers printed on them. My story really starts in 1938 uh, when my mother died. And uh, when my, they burnt the synagogue and they took my father and my grandfather, but uh, they released my grandfather after a time and my father was put into concentration camp of uh, Buchenwald. And uh, he uh, was left, let out uh, because he had uh, a visa to come to the United States. Uh, my grandparents were not uh, very, uh, they were afraid f- for my life. So they sent me to an uncle in, in uh, Rotterdam. I was supposed to meet my father on the 11th of May, 1940. And the Germans marched into Holland in, um, in, on the 10th of May, 1940, and destroyed all the ships. I couldn't get out anymore. Ruth went into hiding as a maid. Soon after, Nazis began to search for Jews in that town. She recalls having to quickly pack in the middle of the night and find another place to hide in plain sight. Then I went to live in Amersfoort. In Amersfoort was a... Um, I, li- I lived with a family that had a three-year-old boy. I was supposed to be his nursemaid. And uh, apparently I was betrayed by somebody who knew that I was there illegally. After getting arrested and sent to a facility in Westerborg, where the Nazis decided which camp Jews went to, while the rest of her group was sent to Auschwitz, Ruth was sent to work in the SS kitchen in a Bergen-Belsen camp. I was deathly afraid. I was very, I was really very much afraid that, you know, of those people. But uh, I don't know if I should tell you this, but in the concentration camp was uh, my uncle and the one I st- was with in um, in Rotterdam. He was, um, uh, he was uh, also there with his wife and, and son. So I stole sausages. The 
a young guy that was in charge of us, he couldn't have been more than about 18 or 19 years old. He was just about the same age. And he probably closed his eyes to He probably knew I was doing it. And he closed his eyes to it. So I really cannot say that I was very brave, that I did it. But at the time, it was scary. It was very scary. Um, sometime in April 19, beginning of April 1945, they put us on a train. And, uh, and they sent us uh, across Germany in uh, cattle cars. And um, I only found this out last a couple of years ago that this train was supposed to be uh, driven into the river and all of us would be drowned. But as it happened, the Americans uh, started uh, strafing the train with uh, machine guns and, and bullets and, as, and they thought there was a troop transport care, train. And they didn't realize it was in, in all, all of us. Uh, the guy in charge of our cattle car opened the door and we all left. And we ran into a, into a ditch. Well, there happened to be a ditch there. And the Americans were on that side, the Germans on this side. And the bullets were flying back and forth right over our heads. And... We just, you know, we just laid down in the ditch and all. And uh, in the next morning, when the when it, when it started getting light, we ran towards the Americans. And as it happened, we were liberated by Texas Rangers. Even after decades between her and the atrocities she survived, Ruth and her family continued to tell her story and encourage others to open their eyes to the past in order to hopefully create a better future. Flash forward to 2019, sitting in a donut shop which serves as an after-school hangout for many in the community. We're here with Vanderlyn Vong, a first-generation descendant of survivors of the Pol Pot Cambodian genocide that occurred in the 1970s. She lives in an area of Long Beach known as Little Cambodia. Her mom was one of those who survived the murder of an estimated 1.7 million people at the hands of the Khmer Rouge. I don't know much about my dad's story, but my mom came here in the early 80s after surviving the genocide. It started when she was around nine years old, um, and that really impacted her education because they were destroying their educational institutions, religious institutions, basic family structure. Um, they took pretty much everyone from the city and marched them to the countryside. And Pol Pot's ideal was to bring us back to our quote-unquote golden age when we were an agrarian society, mostly farming and um, producing rice and things like that. He wanted to take us back to that time. And I know people were forced to get rid of their possessions because everyone's equal. Um, anything religious, they were separated from their families. Um, I know children were taught to kill their parents if they weren't loyal to the Khmer Rouge agenda. Um, I know, like my mom personally, she said they could only eat a spoon of rice a day. And she worked 16 hours a day at nine years old. 
Um, people would like lie about their identity just so they wouldn't be killed. Because if you were from the city, they'd have more reason to kill you. If you're an intellectual, if you could possibly organize against the regime, they would kill you. Now an activist, Vanderlyn is confident education could prevent future genocides. Her efforts began when she was in high school. I remember in history in high school, we learned about the Vietnam War, and I was like, where the heck is the Khmer Rouge? Like, third of the population was killed, and nobody's talking about it. We're in Long Beach, and this is the biggest Cambodian community in the world, and we don't learn about it at all. We just sort of are overlooked. So the only way people like at my high school heard about it was because I made every project like about the genocide and I was like I'm gonna educate y'all like this is what happened you know this community is here in Long Beach in our very own city and nobody really knows so I think shining that light on communities that have gone through genocide and trauma and allowing them that space is really important. State Assembly member Adrian Nazarian whose family fled war and genocide on multiple occasions, represents California's 46th Assembly District and serves as the chair for the Armenian Legislative Caucus. He believes in the power of information and talks about the motivation for his 2014 bill, Assembly Bill 1915, which requires schools across the state to include genocide education in their curriculum. Education is key. Uh, if we don't educate, if we don't remember, if we don't have in our consciousness what has happened, we're going to regrettably continue to contribute to that same tragedy in the past. We've seen it in the Armenian genocide. We saw it in the Jewish Holocaust. We saw it in the Cambodian regime. Uh, we saw it in, in Africa between the Tutsis uh, and Hutus in Rwanda. Assembly member Laura Friedman whose family tree has multiple branches that have come to an abrupt end because of the Holocaust, represents the 43rd Assembly District, which has a large population of Armenians residing in it. She also sees the value of awareness. It's really important to teach not just about, about the Holocaust and about the genocides, but about what leads up to them so that we can be on guard against it. And I'm not sure that we always do a good job of making the links so that people know, yes, this happened in a different land, but that doesn't mean it can't happen here. And the ways that we can ensure that we don't see the rise of that kind of hatred in our own country. She says personal stories like Roots are the best way to raise cognizance about genocides. I think when you hear directly from survivors, it really makes those stories very real, that these were people, these were kids living their lives, these were children who went to school, these were people that had parents and had children. They're people just like us who went through unbelievably trying and tragic situations and triumphed in many cases. The stories that I've heard that have impacted me most are those ones of ordinary people who find themselves becoming unlikely heroes. Assemblymember Friedman believes that it is through a lack of awareness about past genocides that has led to a rise in hate groups. We have seen such a huge and disturbing rise of hate groups in California and across the world, but so many of them are located in California. And I don't think it is uh, a disconnect that we also find that young people today have lost the memory of even the Jewish Holocaust, which wasn't that long ago. 
And there was a very disturbing study recently that showed how many college students and millennials didn't know what Auschwitz was, didn't know how many people had died in the Holocaust, to say nothing of the Armenian genocide, which in a lot of places has really been com is completely unknown. So if we don't teach people what the consequence of hatred is and intolerance and division, I do believe that that's part of what gives rise to hate groups and gives rise to the vitriol and the marginalization and the anger that we see towards immigrants and refugees, where we should be welcoming people and understanding that they're fleeing other countries and other places in the same way that so many of our ancestors fleed their homelands. That's what America was built on. It was built on being a nation of refugees where people could find freedom and find safety. And because of this a misunderstanding and lack of knowledge of the past that so many people had to endure, we're seeing very un-American hate groups and un-American attitudes towards refugees springing up. Assemblymember Nazarian, Nora, Ruth, and Vanderlyn, like so many directly impacted by atrocities, all see parallels between today's political climate in the United States and the circumstances that preceded previous genocides. I think this administration serves as a reminder that if we don't remain vigilant and we take for granted what we have, we will get something that we don't want. It's easy to say, you know, we're not advancing as a country because of these ugly minorities, you know, who may be religiously different or ethnically different from us, and it's their fault, and they become a scapegoat. And when the government kind of uh, eggs that on, the people who used to be neighbors will suddenly turn on their own neighbors. Nobody in the world, in the, all the world, wanted to have Jews come to, San Francisco, come to their country. It's, you know, the same thing as now at the border, you know, this same tragedy. We don't, don't let all those desperate people in at all. For whatever reason, like, the main narrative is that immigrants are bad and they shouldn't be here, but really these people have gone through so much and they just want to build a better life here. So, how are we doing here in California? Between community engagement and legislation passed into law, what else can be done to ensure that people remember all parts of humanity's past and pave the way for a better future? Assembly members Nazarian and Friedman coordinate the state assembly's annual Armenian genocide remembrance ceremonies. Nazarian says remembering the pain and hardship caused by genocide is important, but he also tries to focus on successes of those who have survived. While we recognize also the genocide through annual resolutions, we need to make sure that we recognize the good that has come from this as well. So typically during a given year, I'd like to recognize uh, someone who has done something significant for mankind, for humanity. Because again, there's always a good that comes out of uh, even the most vile evil. Assemblymember Friedman says they're also working to convince Turkey to acknowledge the Armenian genocide. I'm very proud to be working with my colleague Assemblymember Adrina Zarian on the Divest Turkey Bill, which I believe is very important that we make that point of divesting California from the Turkish government and Turkish organizations because they continue to deny the genocide. And that's a trauma that is never going to heal as long as the denial from the world uh, is still out there. It's really important for 
the survivors and for those who suffered to have justice. And you're never going to have justice without acknowledging truth. I spoke with Miran Tumajin, the Western Region Director for the Armenian Assembly of America. His group works alongside activists and elected officials to raise awareness of Armenian issues. He says California has been a leader in the fight to make right the past wrong. California is leading the way, has always led the way, continues to lead the way. Um, and not just with respect to remembering the Armenian genocide, and, and uh, but also with respect to genocide education in general. California has approved uh, language in previous year's uh, legislation uh, signed by the governor um, to uh, incorporate Armenian genocide, uh, the history of the genocide, in California public schools, history and social science textbooks. That is a huge victory. Despite this success, he says we must continue to shine a light on the darkness of bigotry. There's a lot that uh, that we can do to shed light on on things that are happening now, um, even here in our own country, that, that we should be concerned about, um, you know, some of the hatred and bigotry that's out there. Uh, you know, it needs to be exposed and it needs to be condemned. Genocide has been part of the ugly fray in the fabric of human history. These atrocities leave cultures of people crushed throughout the world, leaving a lasting mark on the generations that follow survivors. Nora Hovsepian says research confirms this. There have been many uh, studies uh, published about this, and they interview people who have been second, third, fourth generation survivors of trauma, and they still feel it as if it happened to them. And that's really kind of how we feel about it, too. You, you can't let it go. You have to be passionate about it. You have to pursue it with whatever means we have. Here in California, Advocates and lawmakers are taking action to educate and raise awareness with the hope that their efforts reduce the possibility of future genocides. Is this enough? Their jobs are hard enough, and the burden of responsibility is heavy. Our guests today, and many more all over the state, work tirelessly in the hopes that the educating those around them will help bring humanity one step closer to living more peacefully amongst each other. What keeps them going? Is hope still alive among those who have seen these atrocities and consequences of genocide? Ruth and Vanderlyn, a genocide survivor and the daughter of a genocide survivor, say yes. I'm always optimistic that maybe, maybe somehow, some person that will read, see my story, some people will understand that this shouldn't happen again. There's always hope. That's that's how I survived. I, you know, I hope. I am hopeful because even though we're super divided, there are still people trying to mend us together and trying to make things better for everyone. Um, so I'm hopeful. I'm Nairi Bagdasarian, and thanks for listening to Look West. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. Please subscribe and rate this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And when you think of California and politics, remember to look west.